On today's Midcourt Madness Bigs, we have a Sweet 16 field set up. Woo! We're down to 16 teams. The 16 best teams. Well, maybe not the 16 best teams, but hey, we're down to 16 teams nonetheless. Uh, and it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to a great, uh, a great weekend of games uh, coming up. And so we're going to get into those games, talk about each region, who we think could make the Final Four. And we're going to get into that right after this. So, Biggs, we're going to get into each uh, each region here in a bit. But first, I thought it'd be fun if we just, you know, on the fly, we took the remaining teams and we just sort of picked our starting five, maybe called bench players. Ooh, so like an all, a team, an all tournament remaining, uh, an all remaining in the tournament team for, for each of us. You know, thing? We draft. That's right. Yeah. So we go. We yeah. Go all, Ooh, we should we do a draft? Like my team versus your team kind of thing. Are we? Yeah, let's do All that. Right. Let's All go right. snake draft. I'll All give you right. the let's first see. pick. Looking at the uh, the remaining team, the teams remaining in the field. A lot of pressure here that comes with having the number one pick. Let me see. I think I'm going to take I'm gonna take Jared Butler from Baylor as my as my point guard. I'm going to get my lead guard figured out. He knocks down threes. He plays good defense. He facilitates well. He's the head of kind of that Baylor defensive snake. Uh, give me Jared Butler, All American point guard. Boom, lock it in. Now you get picks two and three. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go slightly a different strategy. Yeah, that first. That's right. That's right. And so makes it easier for me to decide what to do here. Fair enough. Uh, it's okay, I guess. Just like you. Um, I'm actually gonna go on the opposite side for my very first pick, and I'm gonna get a man in the Mm. middle there. I'm gonna get Evan Mobley from USC. You know, he's very athletic. You are a rim protector. Yeah, that's a good... Um, I, I thought about Mobley. He's, Jared a, Butler he's a, an anchor well. on the defensive end of the floor. I, I like the other big guys in this tournament. So, um, I mean, I, I like that pick, though. Good good pick, John. And, uh, you know, I'm going to basically go back to, uh, back to that guard position for my second pick. And I'm going to pick a guy who's just been on a tear lately. He's really been on a tear all season. The nation's leading scorer... And I'm going to pronounce this correctly this time. Mm. Max. All right. Aceness. All right. That's, that's juicy as the number, the number three pick in the draft. But uh, Hey, you, you gotta be bold sometimes. Max Aceman, the, uh, the service, the service Academy guy. Yeah. He, he got away. I want, I, I want points. All right. So now I get two picks, correct? Okay. I think what that's I'm correct. going to do is I'm going to keep stockpiling just like all America players. And with my very next pick, I'm going to take Gonzaga swingman, Corey Kispert. The thing about Kispert is, like, I, I mean, I can reasonably put him at three different positions, right? And, and nowadays, the, the the basketball buzzword that everyone's kind of obsessed about is positionless basketball, right? He can, he can play the two, he can play the three, he can play the four, because he's, you know, he's, what, six seven. he's, like, 220. I mean, he's really filled out in his time at Gonzaga. I mean, he's a stud, so, like... I can play him at the four and like he can hold his own, but he's also an absolute sniper. I mean, he shoots 45% from three. You know, imagine all of the wide open three. He might shoot 75% from three with all the open threes that Jared Butler's going to get him. So good luck defending that, Evan Mobley. Um, and then let's see, I get another pick, don't I? So <laughs> I just continue to stockpile all Americans, yep. and I will now fill my man in the middle spot 
uh, with Villanova big man Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Another kind of uber, you know, Swiss Army knife kind of versatility type of guy. Talk about basketball buzzwords right there. People are obsessed with the word versatility. Um, Robinson Earl can do it all. With Villanova, he's taken on more kind of offense initiating, uh, you know, since Gillespie's gone down. He's averaging like six assists in the tournament. He's He's probably more of like, you know, 20 years ago, he'd probably be a small forward on a lot of teams. And and now he basically plays center for Villanova because he's 6'9", and he's like 230. He's a really, really good defensive big. I, th- I don't think people realize how good defensively he is because he doesn't – he's not like Mobley, right? He's not big and rangy and collecting a lot of block shots and stuff. Uh, he's really, really good defensively, though, in, in his ability to kind of move his feet, switch if he has to on the perimeter, beat guys with position, all of that kind of old man boring defensive stuff. He's really good at it. And, and, I, oh, and by the way, he averages like 20 points a game and 10 rebounds in the tournament. So there we go. Lock it in. Three All-Americans in my uh, in my first three picks. It's okay, I guess. I mean, I, I do think Evan Mobley is going to dominate him and just oh, eat him up. Okay. Um, but it's not a bad pick. It's not a terrible pick anyway. Um, I'm going to go back to the, to the guard well here. Um, and I'm gonna pick a guy from you know your darling team um, in Oregon, someone who could really score, someone who's been under, under the radar. And I'm gonna that. go with that Chris part. Duarte, the shooting guard. And he's this guy who can put some put some points on the board, play some good defense. You know, he's just gonna. I was hoping I could sneak Duarte into the next he's couple rounds. He, he was kind of one of those that I thought about taking in, instead of Kispert. So, well done, John. Um, and then for my other one, I got to scroll through this again. You know, I'm going to get another score. I'm going to get another guard. You know, I can play this guy at the two or the three. You know, it's really positionless basketball this, this time. Ooh. Um, I'm going to okay. go Moses Moody from Arkansas. Guy who can score freshman star. Just, you know, really. You've made a grave mistake. Side, so getting a player. Moses Moody. I, I can't believe this player dropped all the oh. way to me at whatever pick I've got now. Uh, Maybe the, the maybe well, I don't know if he's the leading scorer in the tournament. Well, he probably isn't because of those Oral Roberts guys. But he's been absolutely amazing. Uh, his father hates everybody who's who's you know your height and under. They don't consider them uh, legitimate basketball minds. I am six five, therefore I am a legitimate basketball mind, and I'm going to take Buddy Beheim. Uh, talk about the wide open threes. Buddy Beheim's going to go get me buckets. And now you've got to make a decision. Do you have Chris Duarte guard him, or do you have Chris Duarte guard Corey Kispert? Either way, someone's getting wide open threes, and I'm going to profit. That's a good pick, Buddy Beheim. You know he's he's uh been shooting very well so far. But we're going to get into these games after this. But maybe maybe could be a little regression. That's possible. Of the bigs. You I'll know. take my chances. The only thing I'm worried about is is can Buddy Beheim actually play defense? Because uh, okay. on my team we actually play man to man defense. We don't waste our athletes playing two three zone. Uh, we're going to get up in your face. We're going to guard you. Um, we're not going to play lazy defense and switch everything. But we're going to we're going to get up and play some defense. Mel, get out of there. My dog is done. I swear. She's like two weeks away. She's adorable right now. She's a week and a half away or two weeks away from being an absolute terror. I might be speeding up that timeline. She might be about 15 minutes away from being a terror. She's getting a mind of her own. She's sprinting around right now. She can't sit still. A lot like my wife. Just, you know, much. Uh, I don't know what I was going to say there, but just very, very high energy right now. And high energy is maybe the direction that I want to go with my final pick. I want, I want a high energy guy who's going to glue my team together and 
with that, I am going to take UCLA swingman Jaime Jaquez. He makes my team the most handsome team. He gives my team two elite wings with, with like elite hair. Jaime Jaquez does a little bit of everything. I know all the talk is going to be about Johnny Juzang and all the scoring he does for UCLA. Ooh, scoring. I don't know if you've seen my team, John. My team's not going to struggle to score. We're going to pile up points. Jaime Jaquez does it all. He's 6'6", 220. He can play the three, the four, whatever he does. He does it all. He's just a basketball player. He's not a shooting guard. He's not a small forward. He's not a power forward. You're thinking NBA 2K. He's a basketball player. He cuts well. Shoots well. He has great footwork. I'm a I'm an advocate of footwork. I'm a pro footwork guy. We're a pro football a pro a pro. Let me slow down. I'm getting, I'm getting fired up about my guy Jaime Hawkins. We're a pro footwork podcast. He's got elite footwork. I that ooh that gets me fired up. Jaime Hawkins. He's my four man. Boom. Okay, you know you're talking about scoring and you you do have guys who can score the rock. I'll give you that, but they. You better make sure that they score on their very first shot of each possession because they're not going to get any offensive rebounds with my fourth pick, my yes. second big man, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. You know, we're going to make sure that you are not crashing the board and you might not get a- an offensive rebound um, with this team. So just so you know, Drew Timmy, Gonzaga. And then my sixth man, I've just I'm actually going to so go with guys. one of your guys. I, oh, Do you want to guess who it is? Here. Let me think here. Um, Johnny Juzang. Yep, Johnny Juzang. He's been on a tear lately. You know, coming in the tournament, he's averaging 14 points per game. He's got to be about uh, 20 like right that's, now that's in the a tournament. Good pick. That's a really I'm going to go with Johnny Juzang. My sixth man. So let's see. Let's hear your sixth man, Biggs. Let me think here. I hadn't gotten this far. I'm trying to think of a solid sixth man. I've got so many good options here. I've got. I can pick Herb Jones from Alabama, the SEC Player of the Year, and the SEC Defensive Player of the Year be an interesting one i'm tempted to go just big balls on it and go hunter dickinson and just pound people into the ground because he's a hoss and a half i did too until oh, until, i forgot until about him maybe i should who would you pick we just love to see who would you pick drew timmy or hunter dickinson teams playing each other that'd be delicious um i think timmy's probably yeah. a little better yeah just because i think he's a little more consistent or gonzaga does a better job i think of featuring him in their offense uh, I could see Dickinson, though, definitely doing like a Drew Timmy. I think Dickinson has a really good chance to be like your next Luca Garza-y, just like dominant, boring center that like halfway through his sophomore season people are bored with because he doesn't dunk and doesn't shoot threes and like doesn't isn't flashy enough. He's going to be a force, though, if he stays in college, man. That guy's a beast. I could take him. I could take your guy, Raekwon Gray. Like, mm-hmm. talk about, like, give me a give me a Draymond Green type of guy. <sighs> Having a tough time with this. I mean, I could take the guy from uh, who's who's the I could take Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts, just piling up the points. I think I'm gonna take Herb Jones. Another guy that that gives me kind of a switchy, rangy swingman wing type who can who can handle the ball. He plays really good defense. I'm just gonna be arms and limbs all over the place. <clears throat> I don't, you know, he can play the five if I if I want to give Robinson Earl a rest, or I can run a lineup where he's like my de facto Scotty Barnesy type of point guard off the bench and handling the ball with a bunch of huge wings, and I just have a bunch of 6'7 to 6'10 guys on the floor. Give me Herb Jones. So yeah, that is our picks. I'll go through them quick with us through it here. Um, my picks, Max Abe, or damn it, I did it again. Max A. Smith 
at point guard. My wing guys, Chris Duarte and Moses Moody. My post players, Drew Timmy and Evan Mobley and my six man. All right, so I got I got Jared Butler. I got Jaime Jaquez. I got Corey Kispert, Buddy Beheim, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and my sixth man is Herb Jones. That would be a fun game. I think that'd be a fun game. <laughs> let's do it. All right, so let's get into this week's games. Um, and Biggs, what's uh, what's sort of one There's that you're looking at? There's a lot of them, and, and especially on, in your mind. I'm kind of an elitist, John, when it comes to when I how I watch the tournament. I like the upsets in the moment. Uh, you know, just like everybody, I find myself rooting for that plucky underdog double digit seed to knock off uh, to knock off the the high seed kind of big house teams, uh, and then. Right afterwards, I kind of have like this buyer's remorse where it's like, shit, now the next game's not going to be great. I have a hard time getting real psyched up about Loyola Chicago against Oregon State. Cam Crutwig, that was another guy that we just decided to slight. We needed like a third and fourth guy on this podcast to like draft squads for us because there's so many guys that are just, once they listen to this podcast, they're going to take it as bulletin board material and just be offended that we didn't draft mm-hmm. them. Um, anyway. But, but yeah, that and like Arkansas Oral Roberts, I have a hard time getting real excited about that because I just, I don't know, I'm waiting for, and maybe it never happens, you know, but I think Oral Roberts, like, I don't know, I don't give them a great shot there. Granted, they, they beat a two seed and they beat a seven seed, so why can't they beat a three seed? But I don't know. I, so the Saturday slate to me isn't as as juicy as that Sunday slate. Um, and, the, and the game I'm really, really fired up about is number one, Michigan against number four, Florida State. That's at 4 o'clock Central time, so 3 o'clock Eastern, uh, the CBS matchup. Uh, number one, Michigan. Number four, Florida State. I don't know. I think that one's really intriguing. Everybody kind of see, sees Michigan as like this, you know, vulnerable one seed because of Isaiah Livers going down, you know, heading into the tournament. And I think Florida State's been a really, really trendy, you know, high-end squad that that a lot of people, you know, they're, they're consistently around this space in the tournament over the last handful of years, they're always in the sweet 16 elite eight range. They're always really good. So I, I mean, I think both teams have, have a lot of experience and they kind of match up with each other. Both teams are like this big, long athletic squads. I think that one could be really fun. Uh, what do you think? Um, Yeah, I can see that one. And yeah, Isaiah livers has been, you know, a topic of discussion just because he is, you know, their second leading scorer coming into the tournament. But they've done a great job of just having guys, like I said, just, you know, he averages 13 points per game, and that doesn't mean that his replacement has to average 13 points. But if you have six guys on your team and each one scores two points above their average, then there you go, right there. You're you're making up for it right there. Um, And they've done a great job of that. Shondi Brown had a – I think he had a – double digits off the bench their last game. Um, so they've been able to weather the storm in that way. But LSU. who is the eight seed they beat? I can't even um, – LSU, LSU. Um, and, you know, they did have trouble with LSU is the thing, though. And Florida State is a better team than LSU. They will toss more guys at you. Um, it's almost like a, you know, the hockey rotation thing. You know, five guys in, five guys out. They don't yeah. play quite that many, but it's pretty damn close. Um and to the point where, you know, MJ Walker's their leading scorer, but even if he's has an off game and he has four points, well, a guy who's right. averaging eight points might go off for 15 in that game, you know? So it's a tough team to defend. It's a tough team to just, you know, to just say like, hey, we're going to double team such and such, or we're going to go, you know, in the face on whoever, because there's eight other guys that are going to toss at you. So it's tough to beat them. 
Um, but yeah, that is a very intriguing game for me. Also, I would say I expect Florida State. Yeah, I, do, to come I, out I actually wouldn't one. be surprised uh, by that think? either. It's, it's really, uh, I mean, truly a pickup. I mean, at this point in the tournament, really, would anything really surprise us? Maybe Oral Roberts beating Arkansas and keeping that run. I mean, but for the most part, a lot of these games, it's like, yeah, I, could, I mean, you know, one thing goes well. Shawnee Brown goes twenty points on nine shots, and Michigan's probably going to win again. Um, you know, the, the same thing if Florida State kind of slows down some of these guys and and. Uh, you know, Anthony Polite, who goes in averaging nine points a game, goes for 20. Uh, Florida State's probably going to win. I, I do. I agree with you. Your analysis, to your point, with, with Florida State having so many guys that can that can beat you. They can also just have their leading scorer can get you 12 and still score 80 points because all 10 guys get, you know, between six and 12 points. Like that's that's kind of been their MO for a better part of the last three or four years is that nobody really their leading scorer never averages more than like. 12 and a half points a game, but they have 10 guys averaging anywhere from five and a half to 12. And it just, they just really do come at you in waves. You're right. And it can be a number of different guys on any night. How about you? What, what game are you fired up about? Um, you know, I'm going to go back to uh, the bottom right region. This is the Loyal Chicago region now. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that one, but I was just reading about, you know, you got me on today just to just subscribe to the athletic and I found a good article and it's summarizing sort of that Syracuse Houston matchup. And, you know, Syracuse, notorious for the 2-3 zone, right? And they've done a really good job this year, or not this year, this tournament of just sort of stymieing people. And, you know, with that 2-3 zone, the idea is, you know, pack in the middle. You, you're going to give up three-point shots, but what they do really well is they force you into tough three-point shots. So you're not right up on the line. You're usually like two, three feet behind the line, is that's, and that's where you're attempting your three-pointers. But the tough part about a 2-3 zone, and this, I can't remember the name of the guy from The Athletic who's talking about this, but it's tough to rebound out of the zone. And Syracuse is notorious for being a bad rebounding team. On the Ken Palm this year, I have to look at this number again. I think they're about 331st in the country. In rebounding? Yeah. At... As far as being bad at giving up offensive rebounds. And on the flip side of that, Houston ranks second in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, getting about a 40% rate on those offensive rebounds. So it's like, you know, where Syracuse is bad is where Houston's good in a lot of ways. Another way is Syracuse, they like to play somewhat of fast pace. They're not like, you know, some of these other teams. But the flip side of that, Houston has only given up 60 points per game in the nation. And they're second in the nation at that. So it's sort of a yin and yang matchup. That's something you always say. But I see Syracuse regressing to the mean with their shooting. They've been shooting hot, about 50% in the tournament here. And I see Houston, I mean, they might even get a double-digit win in my mind. I can see that too. And I I love that that point about how Houston is just relentless on the offensive glass. It feels like every year, no matter what kids are putting Houston jerseys on, they're they're crushing teams on the offensive glass. And it's not like they've got – you know, you, you think about North Carolina as that kind of that rebounding juggernaut, right? With their six ten guys, six eleven guys, seven footers, they're massive. Houston is not like that. They they've got like a couple of solid bigs that are like six seven, six eight. Justin Gorham is their leading rebounder at like eight and a half boards a game. He averages like four offensive rebounds a game, which is an absurd number for like and he's like six seven, like two twenty five. Like he's not a he's not a Titan out on the basketball court. They just there's something in that that something in that Houston like water down there. Kelvin Sampson is just like feeding these kids. They're machines on the glass. So I agree. I'm I'm really intrigued to see do they just pummel Syracuse on the glass? And um, you know, one of the things, the reason that Abilene Christian was able to beat Texas, 
One was that they forced 23 turnovers. The other was that they got 27 more shot attempts. They had a bunch of offensive rebounds in that game, and obviously the turnovers impact the number of shots Texas takes. I could see, if I mean, if the shot disparity is like that, if Houston gets 20 more shot attempts than Syracuse, you can shoot 35% from the field and come away with a, a 10, 12-point win because you're right. Like, they're going to get a ton of shots. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do with those shots because Houston isn't a great three-point shooting team. And to your point, Syracuse – uh, we'll see the three-point line a little bit with that with that two-three zone. Houston's got a couple of good shooters, but um, they're susceptible to some cold nights from from downtown as well. Uh, but you're right; their defense their defense is extremely extremely active. It's far and away the best defense Syracuse will have faced. And San Diego State's a good defense. It, it, it ain't it ain't like Houston's defense. And West Virginia, for all the for all the tradition about Press Virginia and all the defense Bob Huggins teams play. That wasn't this year's West Virginia team. That was not a good defensive group this year in West Virginia. Houston's really, really good defensively. Uh, so Buddy Beheim, you know, my, my draft pick, he could regress to the mean tonight, uh, this weekend, because because those Houston kids are just going to, they're going to be all over. So, okay, so we sort of grabbed a couple games from the right side of the bracket. Let's go over to the left. And more specifically, I want to ask you um, a couple questions. A, do you think Creighton has a shot against Gonzaga? And if not, if you just think Gonzaga is going to roll through them and get to the Elite Eight, what team between USC and Oregon do you see as having a better chance of knocking off Gonzaga? Yeah, your first question, I, I don't think Creighton – I think Gonzaga will beat Creighton. I think Gonzaga will probably beat Creighton by anywhere from 10 to 15 points. Uh, as we've seen this year, you, you've mentioned it a few times. We've we've talked about this a number of times about Creighton. It's like they're just so up and down, and we saw them looking – really, really good this weekend in their second game against Ohio. You know, there was really never a doubt they were going to win that game. They're a miss, they're a miss layup, though, a, a two- or three-footer uh, away from losing to UC Santa Barbara in that first game. I don't think Creighton is like some some juggernaut that's kind of figured it out. They just lost by 35 a week and a half ago in the SEC championship – or the, uh, the Big East championship game. I think they play a lot like – like Gonzaga does. They they space the floor. They want to play fast. They've got guys who can shoot. They've got guys who can pass. I've, I've, we've said it a bunch, right? They play this beautiful brand of basketball that you you really enjoy watching, or how can you not enjoy watching? Um, I just think Gonzaga does it at like an A-plus level where Creighton does it at like a B-minus level, you know, or like a B level. And, and I just think Gonzaga is just better at it. And it's hard to go on runs against Gonzaga because – their offense is just so machine, like they're so they're so efficient. They're just they're not going to have a lot of empty possessions, and they play so fast that it's hard to slow them down over the course of forty minutes. You might get you might get two or three minutes where their offense is kind of they're they're a little loosey goosey, and they turn the ball over, they miss a couple shots, and it's like it doesn't impact them at all. They just kind of keep coming at you, and they'll pour fourteen points on you in the next two minutes. They're equally as likely to do that as anything, and it's just. That's really hard. And Creighton's not a great defensive team, so I just don't see them putting a lot of resistance up. To your second question, I think Oregon is actually the better matchup because they are they do have more athletes. I think the Mobley brothers inside, you know, people are gonna want to say the matchup between uh the Mobley brothers and Drew Timmy is kind of juicy inside. And I would agree. I mean, the the way they looked against Kansas, how can you not be just very, very intrigued by how they looked? But I like Oregon. I think Oregon's got a better chance because they've got they've got more athletes. They you know they're all like they're all six 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 seven, and now that they're healthy, it's a really good Oregon team. I said all along I thought they were really underseeded. 
Um, you know, maybe not to like what their resume looks like. They probably got a fair seed based on what they've done in the season. But like eye test just tells me that that team's that team's like a top 15 or 20 team when they're healthy and, and they're healthy, as healthy as they're going to be at least. Um, does Oregon get past USC though? Because last time we saw those two teams play, USC had their way with them. What do you think about that Oregon-USC matchup? Uh, I'm first going to go back and say that I disagree with you on which team presents Gonzaga more of a problem, and it's really just because of size. Um, You you got Evan Mobley, a seven footer. You have Isaiah Mobley, a six ten guy. I would say, you know, if they had a true second post player, sort of like how North Carolina does it, and you know, you have Kispert at the three instead of at the four, I think that changes things. Um, And who knows? Maybe they play Anton um, Anton Watson more just to sort of you know mitigate that risk. But I do think USC presents more of a problem as far as this game. um, The USC Oregon. I could see Oregon winning, but I would go with USC on this one. Just again, just because of size. And it's tough to go against size. It's tough to go, you know, I was just terrible at defense. USC with their bigs, they're good at defense. They can get rebounds. I was not rebounding that game. And so I think they can sort of, you know, play do a better job on defense than Iowa ever did. And I think that USC is going to win this game against Oregon. Do you think it's competitive? Yes. It's, I could. It might be like an eight-point deficit at the end, but like that's just because of free throws at the end. I think sure. it's going to be very close um, throughout. And in that last minute, like with 50 seconds left, it might be a two-point game, but that the one team just pulls away because of free throws. Rich, the five-six the five, the five six guy says size matters. I like that. <laughs> but more importantly, Biggs, I've got a little rant to go on, and this is really going against the selection committee Ooh. to the point where – how in the hell did we get to the point where a Sweet 16 matchup has USC and Oregon? Considering there is five Pac-12 teams in this tournament, right? Considering that the Sweet 16 round has eight games, you should not be ha- have the opportunity where two teams from the same conference are playing each other. Unless if you, unless if it's like the Big Ten, because they have nine, nine teams qualify. So there could have been a scenario where no matter what, they just can't avoid it. But here where it's USC and Oregon in a conference who only has five teams, there's no way that they should be in the same... They could be in the same region, but they should not be facing each other until at least the Elite Eight. And so I'm looking at the bracket earlier today, and this is, by the way, something that the average... Me, the average person, took five minutes to figure this one out, okay? So I'm, okay. I, I just take USC. I was like, okay, what can we do to make this not happen with the current brackets? Could we swap them with Texas Tech? No, we can't because then Texas Tech is only a game away from playing Kansas. They're both in the Big 12. So that one's out. Okay, that, that doesn't work. Nope. Yep. Could USC go down to the bottom left? No, because then they'd play UCLA their first game. So obviously they're both Pac-12. You can't do that. But Can't, can't have that. Yep. If you go to the Illinois region, you swap them with the six seed there, which is San Diego State. And there is no – so USC would – wouldn't be playing a Pac-12 team in that conference or in that region until Oregon State in the Elite Eight at the earliest. And on the flip side, San Diego State, the only other team from their conference, and I have to refresh my memory, is uh, Utah State. And they're in the Texas Tech region already. So how, how did they not avoid this? That's a great question. Um, you know, with multiple, I suppose it's hard, it's hard to imagine when the seeding committee looks at it and says, what's the likelihood that a six and seven seed are both uh, reaching the Sweet 16? I, I predicted it, uh, but I'm also brilliant. So, you know, it's hard to, you know, I, I know not everybody can have the foresight that I have uh, as I got 
half my picks barely right. So I got really lucky. But you're right. And John, what's crazy is that we were actually an Oral Roberts upset away from having two interconference Sweet 16 matchups because Florida and Arkansas would have played each other as well. So um, could you just swap Oregon and Florida and put them in opposite regions? What if you did that? What if you put Oregon as the seven where Florida was? Because wasn't Florida the seven or was Florida the 10? I think Florida was the seven seed. Florida's the seven. Would that have it worked? It for sure works for Oregon. Cut. Yep, for sure it works for Oregon because in that top right region, currently there is no Pac-12 team. So it, for sure it works for them. And then you move Florida over, another uh, SEC team would be Missouri, and that's in the top half. So, yeah, that would work as well. Well, you, well, you know what the problem is, is they want to have these teams be be playing in their in the right regions, you know, because it's it's the West region up top with Gonzaga. You know, you need to have all those West teams playing all the way out West. You know, in, in that West regional, you have to have Western teams being represented. So, you know, it makes but, sense but, for them but, to be playing in their own time zone. You know, that helps them. But Biggs, hang on a second. I've got I've got some knowledge for you here. Okay, normally, great. that is the case. Normally, that is the case. And they try and, you know, group you regionally. You know, right. so for example, in that West region, they might have, say, like a San Diego location or Las Vegas or whoever. Right. So that makes right. sense. You you give a little preferential treatment to the higher seeds and put them closer to home. But I'm not sure where this, this year, because of COVID, the entire tournament is being played in Indianapolis. So it does not matter. You mean the whole thing is in one, one area. So, so time zones don't matter. So location doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if we have a West or an East or a South or a Midwest or whatever they've got. And they still fuck this up. Yeah. They fucked the pooch here. The selection committee needs some revamping. Do you think we can apply for it? Is it just a job you apply for? I'm not sure how they, I don't know how they decide who's on the selection committee. I mean, I, I do think it's rich. The Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky athletic director is one of the, one of the head honchos on the selection committee and Louisville was, was the number one team left out of the tournament. That's eyebrow raising. Um, I don't know how they decide this. Is Archie Manning on that one too? Or is he just on the college football playoff thing? Cause I feel like that guy's involved in everything. Or maybe it's I all know. over luck. I, I, can't, I lose I track know the of North which, Carol- which football quarterback dad is on everything. I know the North Carolina AD. His name is, is uh, Bubba Cunningham. I know he's on it too. Um, that's just me they trying to drop some knowledge. They, they let anybody on yep. that. Yep. But yeah, that's my rant here, Biggs. Let's, uh, so we basically broke down the uh, Gonzaga region about as much as we can for this weekend. Let's go over to the Baylor region. Um, and do you see Oral Roberts sort of continuing their streak against Arkansas? Uh, no. Do you? <laughs> No. Just talk about the disrespect. Once the Oral Roberts guys gets their hand on this, like they're gonna they're gonna be coming for us. They're gonna be playing us in their locker room before the game. Yeah, like usually how the teams have like the big sign that says like be great today and they slap it on their way out of the room. Like they're gonna have like midcourt madness. Is Oral Roberts good in a quote and then dot 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 and another quote that says, No, do you? Dot dot dot. No. <laughs> and they're gonna slap that on their way out to the court. And then they're going to only lose by 15 instead of 25. So I like, I like to think we can motivate. <laughs> but no, um, the thing about this is they rely heavily. We've mentioned it on Ace Miss and O'Banner. They don't have, they have Kareem Thompson averaging about nine points per game, but hasn't done that in this tournament. Whereas Arkansas, they just come at you with waves. They have Moses Moody, Jalen Tate, Justin Smith. They have one of the, arguably the best six men in the country and JD Note. And so, yeah. They just haven't had an animal like this all year, I don't think. You mean to tell me North Dakota State isn't the same kind of animal as Arkansas? I mean, they made a tough 
comeback in that Summit League championship, but no. It's true. They gave, I mean, they gave Kansas a good game. What's the, uh, how far do we go on the transit of property? If North Dakota State played Kansas well, Kansas played, who could Kansas have played? That then maybe played somebody else that played somebody else that beat Arkansas. Kansas, oh, Kansas beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma beat Alabama. Arkansas, did Arkansas beat Alabama? I don't That's know. Piecing that together. radio here. Here's the, here's the thing. Oral <laughs> Roberts has scored an average of 78 points per game in the tournament. 78 points a game between their two games. O'Banner and A-Smith combined, A-Smith combined for almost 60 of that. They combined for like 57 points. That means the rest of their guys are getting roughly 20 to 22, 23 points a game. If those two guys aren't getting 60 for you, are you do they have any shot? I mean, even if they're just like, okay, like if, if O'Banner scores 18 points, like his season average, and Aismith scores 21 points, you know, maybe a below-average game for him, a, a, a pretty damn good game still. If those two guys get 39, do they have enough juice to kind of make up for that? Because, you know, throughout the entire season, it's not like this team's been able to re, like relax and uh, or, or fall back on its defense. Their defense is not good. They rank, like, in the 200s in defensive efficiency. It's not like this team's been particularly strong defensively, and they've gotten by because Florida turned the ball over 20-something times, and Ohio State missed a butt-ton of free throws and also turned the ball over a shit-ton. Um, if Arkansas doesn't cough and piss down their leg and turn the ball over all the play over the place, I just don't see how they have the the juice to keep up with them. I agree. And the other thing is, you know, Oral Roberts really got their wins in large part through creating turnovers. Um I think it's about they combined 26 turnovers uh, that they forced against Ohio State and Florida. And the flip side of that is Arkansas just doesn't turn the ball over that much. And also, they play very fast. And I was reading about this today. Um, Aismas and uh, O'Banner, they played every minute of both games last weekend. Yep. I don't know if they can do that with how fast Arkansas plays. They're going to be exhausted by the end of this game. So it might be a thing where they're, you know, if even if they do get hot early on, the last 10 minutes, they're not going to have their legs. They're going to be tossing up bricks, and I think Arkansas is going to win. I would agree. I I think that that game is – I mean, how can you not love the the ride that Oral Roberts has gone on? Who doesn't love when a 15 seed can win a couple games? I mean, in the moment, it's awesome watching a 15 upset a 2. In the moment, it's awesome thinking about a 15 seed from the Summit League, uh, you know, advancing to the Sweet 16. That's crazy. You know, Oral Roberts is in the Sweet 16, and teams with lottery picks in the upcoming NBA draft, teams with incredible amounts of history on their side in the college basketball world, sitting on a lot higher spots on the on the college basketball food chain, are going home. And Oral Roberts is here, Uh, but Cinderella runs. uh, You know, the clock, the proverbial clock, I think, strikes midnight on this one for them. I, I just don't see them being able to do it again. And they played earlier in the year. I don't know if that really matters a whole lot because you know it was was a handful of months ago it was in a non-conference game where these teams are probably still learning a lot about themselves I think Arkansas's ceiling is a lot higher and I think they're probably at that ceiling where Oral Roberts might be at their ceiling and it's significantly lower I think Arkansas uh, takes it to them unfortunately I hope I'm wrong you know and I rarely am. So, and nothing, nothing. We're not taking any, anything away from Oral Roberts. They're just the second team. Oh, we the second are. Fifteen seed. Oh no, I think they're terrible. Far. I'm giving them no respect. <laughs> okay, let's get off this. Um, assuming <laughs> Arkansas wins, do you think that they can 
beat Baylor? I'm just going to give you that question. Assuming Baylor beats Villanova. Well, yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's college basketball. It's crazy, uh, crazy tournament stuff. Baylor has has looked awfully good here in the tournament, um, but so is Arkansas. And I think Baylor's the best team in the country. I've said it all, really, all season. Every time I watch them, I just think I think this is the best team in the country with the, with the way they they come at you and the way their guards can play. I think Arkansas has has a pretty good squad. They have a really good squad. I mean, they're one of the top probably 15 teams in the tournament. Top top 10. I mean, they're a three seed. I assume Baylor will beat Villanova uh, because I feel like we've already seen the Baylor-Villanova game when it was Baylor against Wisconsin, and Villanova plays kind of the same way Wisconsin does. They might have a little more natural talent, but I think Baylor's a little better, and I think Baylor, the longer they play, their, their sea lakes come back, and the closer they get back to being at optimal, high-powered, undefeated national title Baylor that we saw in the middle of the year where they look like a juggernaut. I think the more they play off that COVID break, the, the further removed they get uh, from that COVID break, I think the stronger they're getting. Which, cash, Captain Obvious, right? Uh, so I do. I think I think they're going to beat Villanova. I do think that's an intriguing game just because every time Villanova gets past the uh, the second round, they win the title. So, um, you know, just like every time a 16 seed upsets a one, the one seed then wins the, the national championship the next year. All we have is data. Every time Villanova gets past the second – well, no. Recent historical data tells us every time Villanova advances to the second round, they win the national title. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, so yeah, and then one thing, one thing I wanted to add is, you know, we talk about Baylor all the time and how they just toss guards at you. They have got they get great bench production out of their guards. Arkansas is probably the closest you'll get to Baylor in that sense, considering, you know, J.D. Note, who I talked about averaging 13 points per game. And they also have Devontae Davis, who you talked about in our last podcast, who's sort of come on strong. And those two combined average about 20 points per game off the bench. And so if you're looking for a team that has that depth, especially at the guard position, Arkansas is the other team besides Baylor. And so they could really give them a run for the money this game. I would agree. I would agree. I think that would be if, if that's the Elite Eight matchup that we get uh, on Monday. I'm certainly not going to be complaining. Or uh, would that be would that be Monday? Yeah, that'd be the Monday. That'd be the Monday slate. My days are running together here. But I, yeah, I would I would love it if it were, if that were the case. I think those two teams are uh, really good. They've been really good all season. And you know, who wouldn't want to see more Arkansas with with Musselman as, as one of the best coaches and and Baylor with with Scott Drew kind of being a you know one of these. I mean, it just seems like they've got one of the best teams. Like I said, all the, all that guard talent on display would be would probably be a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's move over. We already talked about the Syracuse-Houston game. Let's also get into Loyola-Chicago. And I don't want to talk too much about it because I feel like I feel like every, everything we can say about Loyola, we've already said with how they play. They play a very – they're a boring team. I'm sorry. They're fun to watch, but they're boring. But do you think Cameron Crutwig will use his snub from our teams to score, I don't know, 20 points this game? Um. Yeah, I think I think Crutwig probably ha- – I mean, he has to take our team and feel the disrespect and really come back at us, right? I mean, I took Jeremiah Robinson Earl over Cameron Crutwig. I probably would have taken Kofi Coburn over Cameron Crutwig if we were drafting this team a week ago, and all he did was do work last week. You know what we should have done was we didn't draft a coach – for our team, where would you draft Porter Moser out of the remaining 16 coaches? He's got to be one of the best ones remaining, right? The best coach remaining. I'm going to go to your team. I'm going to go with Dana Altman. Yeah, I do like Dana Altman. I like Dana Altman a lot. He's got to be in the top half. And when you're talking about in the top half of the Sweet 16, I mean, 
there are some high-end coaches here. I mean, Mark Few's a Hall of Famer. Scott Drew's awfully good. Nate Oates is really uh, – he looks like he's on a really, really good track. I think Porter, Porter Moser's probably doing more right now than he is. Kelvin Sampson's good. Leonard Hamilton. Porter Moser's awesome, right? I mean, the way his team's playing right now is – like you said, it, it is kind of boring, but it's, it's like it's surgical. It's boring in the sense that they don't have – they don't have that that NBA talent, right? Everybody's obsessed with that. Watching college hoops, we got to know who's who's gonna be playing in the NBA. Who's who's a lottery pick? They don't have that, and I love it. I don't care about NBA talent. Um, I don't care about who's gonna get drafted. This is college basketball. This isn't the pros. Uh, we're focusing on what these guys are right now, and they don't have you know a ton of high end. They don't win the layup line, right? They're not gonna. They're not gonna. They're not the team that gets off the bus and you're like, whoa, that's LSU. LSU gave up 100 points to Michigan. Uh, Loyola Chicago is the best defensive team in the country. Defense, as boomer as it sounds, wins in the tournament. These teams that are left, mostly good defensive teams. Okay, find me a bad defensive team that advances deep into the tournament. I know offense kind of wins uh, more and more than it used to, but you don't see sieve defensive teams advancing in the tournament. Um, and Loyola Chicago is is absolutely outstanding defensively. You wonder if. The thing I wonder about is now that teams have had a little more time maybe to gear up and prepare for that offensive style they play, which is, is really herky-jerky, right? Because I, I don't know about you, John. I feel like a lot of college basketball now, it's trickling down from the NBA, and that so much is, is middle ball screen, high ball screen, high pick and roll, two-man game, a bunch of guys trying to space the floor and shoot. And if you've got good shooters, you're going to be pretty good offensively. Uh, if you don't, you're going to be stuck in the mud. Loyola doesn't play that way. They, they orbit around Crutwig. And they've got a bunch of guys that, that can that can catch it and rip and go. And it's it's like dribble handoff kind of stuff where, where it's not as much ball screen oriented. And I think these teams that that have a lot of defenders who don't really know how to play defense off the ball and don't understand like help side stuff. How many times did Illinois guys get burned on like backdoor cuts, easy buckets at the rim? Um, if you've got like a week and a half or a week to, to kind of gear up and prepare for that offense, I wonder how much, how much do you think that impacts? Is that something that I'm way overthinking or do you think that could be a thing? I think it's tougher to do that. Cause I feel like Loyola Chicago could do this in their sleep. They're like, you think of like a factory worker, right? Factory worker just do the same thing over and over and over all day to the point where it's just repetitive. They can just not even be looking at it and their hands just go in the right spots. Are, you know, are you disparaging factory workers right now? No. Those men do the Lord's work. <laughs> but you get my point though right like yeah Loyola could be in a dark gym just pitch black running offensive sets and every player knows exactly where they need to be at all points yes it's a great way to put it all right let's move on um we really only have one more game we haven't touched on from uh the sweet 16 round that's the Alabama UCLA game um Alabama obviously had a very hot uh game for the three-point line in the last game I don't know if you saw this thing with Gary Parrish from CBS Sports predicting last week that they would shoot 17 of 34 from three, <laughs> and they ended up being 16 for 33. Yeah, all, all GP does is get stuff wrong. So. No, <laughs> but, yeah, I, but, I did hear that. I did hear that on his pod, and then the very next game, they they come one three-pointer away from doing it. Uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, his his take on Alabama all season consistently, and, and I agree with it, is that they're as dangerous as anybody outside of Gonzaga and Baylor probably in that they're – their high end is higher than probably anybody's because the way they defend their number, I think two in defensive efficiency in the country, top 10, I know that. Uh, but they also generally, when you see these teams that are really, really high up there in defensive efficiency, you look the next column over and it's pace and they play really slow, right? Think Virginia. Everybody hates on Virginia. They play great defense. They play really slow. And that's why teams can't score more than 50 points. Maybe that's just North Carolina. 
other teams that can't score more than 60 points. Um, Bama plays really good defense. They D you up, but they play fast. So it's like, it's like they have a great chance to continue scoring a ton, but they play great defense. That math adds up, right? It adds up to a lot of winning. And the amount of three-pointers they take, you know, generally another thing that that people talk about is these jump-shooting teams. You live by the three, you die by the three. Have you heard that cliche, John? Uh, once or twice, yes. You can die by the three if you're Alabama and still live because they play such great defense. So it makes them really, really dangerous because on nights where they go 16 to 33, you get 48 points on 33 shots along with playing great defense, and you just you just put runs on people. So I, I, I think they're they're definitely super dangerous because they're ceiling at their best. They're really tough. And they've got they've got three or four guys different guys that can really score. So it's not like you're relying on any one guy to pile up the points for you. But they don't need a win shoot they don't need to win 97 to 92 like Iowa win shootouts because they're not gonna let you score a ton of points. They they play terrific defense. So I think it's going to be really fun to watch them against UCLA because UCLA is really cooking right now too. They're not playing like an 11 seed. Um, yep. People forget they won the most games this weekend. They won three games this weekend. Yeah. They ended Let the me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question, Biggs. Who has, as an 11 seed, there's two of them left, both playing two seeds. Who has the best chance to upset a team? Let's see. Syracuse is the other 11, correct? Correct. I lean Syracuse just because, A, a I think their, their wonkiness and matchup with Houston is probably a little more favorable. I know Houston. I, I'm totally buying into your your point about how Houston crushes people on the glass. And in my head, I close my eyes and I'm envisioning that game. And I see Houston getting a lot of offensive rebounds, and and then and then I see them just throwing up more misses. Though I don't know why. I, I'm having a feeling like Houston's going to shoot like 32 percent from the field. I don't know why. I, I can see that happening. I can see them still winning, but I can see a 32 percent shooting game from Houston and them losing by three or four because. My guy Buddy just goes off. I think UCLA is a better team than Syracuse, but I think Alabama is a lot better team than Houston as a two seed. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I would agree with it. Um, basically, they're the same reason you said um, Bama is just better than Houston. It's a it's a tougher matchup for UCLA. I do think UCLA is a better team consistently. Uh, Syracuse has their games where they just fire on all cylinders from outside. Um right. But the the flip side of that is Houston. Who knows with this injury from Dejan Giroux how how effective yeah. he's going to be? And so that's the other thing. You know, it's a I don't know if have you ever had a hip pointer? I don't even know what that means, but it sounds bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. A pointy hip. I mean, oof. I'm not sure what that is, but I don't like the sound of it. Yeah, and so he injured it the first game last week, and it, he played in spurts the second game. Um, I know he came. I, they're talking about during the telecast about with ten minutes left, he came in as almost like himself, forcing himself into the game. Um, and who knows? That could just be adrenaline. We'll see how it's healed since then. But yeah. there's just some uncertainty there, and that's why I would I would say UCLA has a tougher time to upset Alabama than Syracuse does Houston. I would I would agree with that. That's a great point on Jerome too, because I mean he's one of he's probably not he's not their leading scorer, right? I mean I think he averages like eleven points a game or something, so he's like their third guy. He might be. I think he's their probably most important player. That that whole cliche. He's not maybe their best player, but he's their most important. I think it's true though. He is he is really good defensively for them. Uh, he's their best passer. He's really really tough when it comes to. He just kind of stuffs the stat sheet. He, he fills up the box score with, you know, he gets you twelve points, six boards, five assists, couple steals, and he just kind of makes impact plays for Houston. They're more than one guy, so I mean they still, certainly still have a really good outfit without him. 
But there is something about to be said about it. He's just kind of like their their heart and soul kind of floor general guy. A couple years ago, like he bit some guy's ear off. Like he went Mike Tyson on it and like bit somebody in the ear. When you get to the Sweet 16, you want more guys that are willing to bite other people's ears in a basketball mm-hmm. game. Uh, and if yeah. you're not going to have that, that, that's tough. It's tough to overcome. Who else wants to Who else wants to step up and bite someone in the ear? I don't know. Not me. No. No thanks. No. It's all weird and like cartilagey and like, nah, I'm good. It's got, I imagine it's kind of like tasteless beef jerky, except not as enjoyable. Yeah. Um. So, Biggs, do you have any other games you want to talk about? Anything else you want to touch on with for for this weekend? No, I'm just I'm just really excited. I'm all, I'm like excited and also a little sad. You know how the tournament always seems to go. It's like it, it's one of those weird sporting events that like gets a little more and more depressing the further along we go. Like that Friday and Saturday, you're just like in like a full day like orgasm mode, right? Like it's like this is amazing. <laughs> There's four TVs and we got games on all day from eleven in the morning our time until like like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night it's games all day uh and then sunday and monday it was it was eight games like games really pretty much all day again you know now you know the games get a little less and they start dwindling down and and while i think the matchups will be super fun to watch it there's a part of me that it's a little sad because it's like man i know the end is coming kind of like um you know it's a little bittersweet but I do, I do. I think these, these, I mean, the tournament always delivers. There's always great games, always instant classics. And, and a lot of times they're forgotten instant classics. Like the society we live in now, the, the kids these days, you know, their, their minds are so like mush because they're obsessed with their phones. Um, man, a lot of the kids, these, I mean, kid, kid in my class today, was just like, can I go on my phone? And it was like two minutes between the bell. And I'm like, can you go without your phone for two or three minutes? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, then why do you need to go on your phone so much? what's wrong with you and what are we talking about again i, I lost my time. i don't remember you're getting a little off topic um yeah, yeah you make a good point and it's it's almost just like it's a scary thing you know we only have there's 16 teams left we have 15 games left that's it 15 games yeah, yeah. and after and after this weekend we're only gonna have three games yeah so it's sad how, way. how in are you let me ask you this how in are you on the on the new schedule i know it's a little weird right when the you're you're used to like the all-day action on thursday all-day friday all day Saturday, all day Sunday, that first weekend. And then the Sweet 16 Elite Eight is that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday again. It's different, right? Because the games now are, thir- are Saturday, Sunday. So we have four standalone games on Saturday and Sunday of the Sweet 16. Do you like that or do you not like that? How do you feel? I like the idea of all the standalone games on Saturday, Sunday, because normally it'd be Thursday, Friday. So, and like they don't really start to like six. So you have like, they, they you know, what's the word I'm like, overlap them a little bit. Um, yeah. But. This way, they're all prime time. The only thing I don't like is, you know, before the games would end Sunday and then they start back up Thursday. So there's three days, three full days without basketball. This year, they yeah. end Monday. They don't start up again until Saturday. They add another day there. I don't like that. That's the only thing I don't like. But then I guess when you get to the next weekend, it's going to end Tuesday and then start back up again Saturday. So that's, what, four days off? Yeah. Wow. No, three days off. So it sort of gets back that way. Um, so I guess I'd say just this little gap right here is the worst part. But otherwise, I don't know, it's really a hat and a hat. Who cares what days they are exactly? I mean, it doesn't bother me too much. I'm with you on that. The extra weight. The waiting is the hardest part. You big Tom Petty guy? I know you've been getting into like older music lately. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, The Waiting, terrific song. Uh, he's right on this. The waiting is the hardest part. Um, yeah. You know, and... You're right. The, the waiting is going to be tough. I mean, we got another like three days until the tournament. 
I'm in on the the Saturday Sunday full day standalone Sweet 16 stuff though, because even if there's a stinker or two like in that Sweet 16 matchup, I at least get to watch it all. Like I've got all day basketball, and then the Elite Eight stuff Monday Tuesday. Like I don't know about you, Tuesday is my least favorite day of the week. That's kind of a hot, maybe a lukewarm hot take because everyone else hates Mondays. I kind of sleepwalk through Mondays like it's not as bad. Tuesday, I'm all the way awake, but I'm still all the way away from the weekend. Now we got now we got college basketball to prepare for. Like Tuesday, we're gonna have some terrific Elite Eight games and might make for like a, a late night, maybe a little later than my old ass can handle, but I'm fired up for it. Let's go. Yeah. So let's get into we're gonna do one more thing, Biggs. We're gonna reseed the remaining teams in this tournament. And this is the idea I came up with because Literally every website, every college basketball analyst is doing this on Twitter. Everyone. So, I don't know what you think the best way is of doing this. I was thinking we could just go through each seed line. So, I'd say who my one seeds are um, and go from there. So, like we're basically treating it like there's four one seeds, four two seeds, four three seeds, four four seeds. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. um, Actually, I'm going to put it on you here. Give me your one seeds. All right. So, I've got... Oral Roberts, Oregon State, UCLA, and Syracuse. Are you going backwards on purpose? Oh, hold up, hold up. I'm looking at this upside down. My bad. Yeah, those are my four seeds, so I gave okay. that away. Okay, well, let's go that way then. Um, my four seeds – okay, I lost track because you were screwing with me there. Say them again, Oral Roberts, Oregon State, <laughs> Syracuse, and who? I'm going to go UCLA. Okay. I'm very close, and actually, so I, I wrote them out 1 through 16. Uh, Syracuse is my 12th overall, and Villanova is my 13th. So they're literally, I, I'm assuming they might be flopped with between you and me. I'm pretty close with you on that. Yeah. Uh, but my three seeds then, I've got, just like I just mentioned, Syracuse. I've got Creighton. And then when I was doing this, three through like nine, maybe even ten, were very tough. They're like so neck and neck. But my other two three seeds, I've got Oregon and I've got Loyola. So, Biggs, who are your three seeds? All right. So, my four seeds, again, were Oral Roberts, Oregon State, Syracuse, UCLA. I have a similar order for you. I have Villanova as my number 12 team. Um, So, they're a three seed. I've got Creighton as a three seed. I've got USC as a three seed. And I've got the University of Loyola Chicago as a three seed. They're my top number three. I should probably put USC ahead of Loyola Chicago, I think. But uh, there we go. Okay. So, yeah, I think really the only teams that we that I've said I've said Oregon as a three, whereas you said USC as a three. Yep. So we'll probably get into this pretty quick here. My two seeds: Houston, USC, Florida State, and Michigan. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The only thing, the only, di- I mean, I got a couple differences. Mine are Arkansas, Oregon, Florida State, and Houston. Okay, so not too far off. Who are your no. So, your one seeds, Gonzaga and Baylor, obviously. I think you said who are your other two? For one? Well, actually, actually, John, Gonzaga is actually my one dash one dash one dash capital A capital A seed. Roman numeral I also. Yep. Baylor is my one dash Roman numeral V dash lowercase A capital case B number one seed. Okay. Okay. And then I have Alabama and Michigan. Alabama and Michigan. So, yeah, the only one there that is different. I have Michigan as actually my eighth overall. I've got Arkansas as my fourth overall. But like I said, three through like nine were tough for me just to get through. They're all so similar. You're also a Big Ten hater. so 
I, and also I'm a Pac-12 uh, lover. You know, I'm just You're an advocate, advocate for the Pac-12. Now. I'm a big time advocate for the Pac-12. Always have been. I uh, I really bring people the information that they need. Really, basketball was invented out west, Pacific yes. time. <laughs> all right, so that's all I have, Biggs. Um, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us. Uh, go read our articles on midcourtmadness.wordpress.com. Um, and yeah, we will uh, watch all the games and then we'll come back with one. The last game this weekend starts uh, starts and finishes on Tuesday. So I don't know. Wednesday night maybe release something. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so look for us then. Love it. Love it.